are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Another good show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit more about the NBA playoffs, the series prices. I never even got around to talking about what the Mavericks pulled last Friday night. We're going to talk about that. Rudy Gobert punching a teammate in a game that was very, very important for the playoff race. We're going to look at a little bit more from the Masters. Odell Beckham signs with a team that doesn't even know who their quarterback is. Or maybe they do. And the Tampa Bay Rays continue to dominate the sport of baseball. Only 152 more games they have to win in a row to complete the undefeated season. We will get to all that momentarily. Now... Let's start with the Mavericks, and there's obviously, being in Dallas, a lot of talk about what happened on Friday night. The short story is, going into Friday night's game, the Dallas Mavericks needed to go 2-0, and they had to have Oklahoma City lose on Sunday to the Memphis Grizzlies for them to make just the 10 seed and would be in the play-in game. The game before, the Mavericks played all their players and won the game against the Sacramento Kings. So, they were all set. Yes, they did not control their own destiny. They had to win Friday and Sunday, but they were playing the Bulls on Friday, who were playing nobody as well. They're trying to tank. And they were also playing the San Antonio Spurs on Sunday, who are one of the worst teams in the NBA and aren't even playing their starters. Going into the game, after Wednesday's victory, everybody was under the assumption that the Mavericks were going to play their players and they would try and make the playoffs, even though destiny was not in their fate was not in their hands. Destiny, they didn't control their own destiny or density, however you want to call it. But everybody thought they'd at least try. Before the game on Friday, it is announced, coming from the higher-ups, Mark Cuban and GM Nico Harrison, that basically they're sitting all their players. Luca's going to play one quarter, and the only reason he even played a quarter was because Friday night was a this is Slovenia night where a group of Slovenians are brought to the game because the Mavericks are in conjunction and doing things to promote things in Slovenia. Obviously, Luca is from Slovenia, so they couldn't not play him that night. Bottom line was, He didn't play after the first quarter, and they also sat six other regulars, five other regulars. So the Mavericks end up, they were leading most of the game, but they end up losing to the Chicago Bulls, and all hell broke loose. And the crazy thing about it, and be like, why are the Mavericks trying to lose? Well, it's because right now, and going into that game, they had the 10th worst record in the NBA. And if the Mavericks finish with a 10th worst record or less, they get to keep their draft pick. If they're 11th or worse, that draft pick goes to the New York Knicks in the Kristaps Porzingis trade. So basically the Mavericks decided we're going to punt on our season and we would rather keep the 10th pick than try and win and lose our spot and lose our pick. We'd rather keep our pick than make the playoffs and just make the play-in And we might lose the first game of the play-in, and we might lose our pick. So, And even if we make the playoffs, do we even 
if we even win our play-in games, we're going to play the number one seed, Denver Nuggets. Can we really win that series? It was just the problem with everything is the fact that, look, the Mavericks did nothing different than what a lot of teams in the NBA did this season. They tanked. The problem is the Mavericks tanked with two games left in the season and a chance to still make the playoffs. Was it an outside chance? Yes. And this was just not even to make the quote-unquote playoffs, just to make the play-in. So I'm not as unnerved by what they did. I understand it was more of a business decision. However, they did this so they could keep the 10th pick in the draft. Is the 10th pick in this upcoming draft really going to make or break the Dallas Mavericks next season when you don't even know if you can re-sign Kyrie? Like I said, so many teams in the NBA tanked this season. The San Antonio Spurs tanked. The Detroit Pistons, I believe, lost 18 of their last 19 games. They weren't trying. So the Mavericks tanking is no different than what a lot of other NBA teams did. They just started tanking with two games left this season, not teams that quit two or three weeks ago. The Portland Trailblazers shut Damian Lillard down with 10 games left in the season when if they were in the playoff hunt, he would have played. So in that aspect, they didn't do anything different than a lot of other teams did. The problem was not only were they doing it with only two games left, they were doing it right on the cusp of this, we have the 10th pick, and when if we win, we could be the 11th worst team in the league and we're going to lose our pick. And you know who the 11th worst record in the league was? The Chicago Bulls. So that Friday night's game was huge because if the Bulls don't win, they would, you know, the Bulls ended up winning, so it kept the Mavericks at 10. If the Bulls lost and the Mavericks won, the Mavericks would have fallen to 11th place, and they definitely wouldn't have had their pick. Here's the other thing. They're still technically not guaranteed the 10th pick in the draft because the 14 lottery teams when the draft happens, if teams 11, 12, 13, or 14, I think have a 5% chance of moving up into the top four, if any of those teams end up getting lucky and their ping pong ball is picked and they move into the top four, that moves the Mavericks back to 11 minimum and they would still lose their pick. So there is a chance the Mavericks lose their pick to the New York Knicks never made the playoffs, and don't even sign Kyrie. Like, that would be the ultimate holy shit moment. History is also not on their side. The Dallas Mavericks have never moved up in the history of the draft when it comes to needing something to happen ping pong ball-wise. It's never happened. They've never moved up. So that doesn't bode well for them. There is going to be a lot spoken about in this offseason and the biggest one being Kyrie Irving he has the ability to sign a five-year 272 million dollar contract with the Mavericks they can offer him the most money other teams can offer him a max of four years and roughly 200 million I think it's like 201 so do you give if you're the Dallas Mavericks a 31 year old player roughly 54 million dollars a year I don't think you can. You are going to 
hamstring your franchise if you sign Kyrie to the max deal. Now, if you want to sign him to a two- or three-year deal, makes more sense. However, I don't think Kyrie wants to sign a two- or three-year deal. This offseason is going to make or break the Mavericks and determine whether or not Luka wants to say. Right now, he's saying all the right things. He's happy. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to go anywhere. Loves the Mavericks, loves the organization. But let's be honest. He just had his best statistical season, and the team that made the Western Conference Finals last year didn't even make the playoffs, and lost 18 of their last 25 games. When they traded for Kyrie Irving, they were the four seed in the West, and then they didn't even end up making the playoffs. Does Kyrie even want to come back to this team? You ask Mark Cuban, you ask some of the other players, said Kyrie's been on his best behavior. I think he wants to be back. We want him back. They're saying all the right things right now. But Kyrie is a different cat. And I don't know if he really wants to come back to the Mavericks. We don't know. He said all season, look, I don't want to talk about my status here or anywhere until the season is over. Well, the season ended on Sunday when they got blown out by a sad sack Spurs team, even though they played nobody, and the Mavericks played nobody. And what happened? We didn't end up hearing from Kyrie. He left after the game. So I have no idea where this guy's head's at, but if the Dallas Mavericks sign Kyrie for the max, five years and $272 million, this franchise is going to hell in a handbasket, and they're never going to recover from it as long as he is on the team. Because if they did sign that contract, I tell you right now, he's never lasting five years here. He's never lasted five years anywhere. He's going to grumble at some point, and he's going to become too much of a headache, just like he has been everywhere else, whether it was the Cavs, whether it was the Celtics, whether it was Brooklyn, doesn't matter. He's burned every bridge on every team he's ever gone to. You cannot give this guy $54 million a year at 31 years old. No chance know how, but you better have a plan in place if you don't sign him, even though they're saying they want to, it seems like they don't know what that's going to entail. You're going to have 80 to $90 million tied up into two players. If you sign Kyrie for the max, how is that going to work? How are you going to form a team around them? The 10th pick is not going to save you. A 10th pick that's not even guaranteed at this point. The Mavericks, oh my God, this offseason is going to be such a circus. It's already started already as a circus. All right, so let's get to what else is happening in the NBA. There's only four series that are set because you still have to wait for the games that are happening tonight, uh, the play-in games that are happening tonight, which we know is... Hawks against Heat tonight, and the Lakers and Minnesota tonight. The winners of those games are locked in as the seven seed. If it's Miami or Atlanta, they're going to play the Boston Celtics. If it's the Lakers or Timberwolves, they're going to be the seven seed, and they're going to play the Memphis Grizzlies. But the four series that are set, uh, let me pull those up real quick. Four series that are set, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Knicks, Cavs, and in the West, Golden State, Sacramento, Clippers, Suns. Yesterday, I told you the Clippers and the Suns, the Suns were a minus 500. You had to bet $5 to win $1. They're 5-1 to favorites to win that series. 
When I looked this uh, yesterday morning, it was up to minus 565. Now, like I told you, the Clippers are too good. Not saying they're going to win the series, but you have to take value when you're betting something like that. And Phoenix is being overvalued for a team that has only had Kevin Durant for eight games. Granted, they've never lost with him in uniform, but, you know, you have to take a chance. And it's already been bet down to minus 490. So it's almost dropped a, a full unit. Golden State, yesterday I told you was minus 260. They're up to minus 295. Yet again, another team that's basically going off reputation, which they should. Even though Sacramento was the three seed and Golden State is the six seed, I don't think anybody truly thinks that a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in 18 years and doesn't play a lick of defense is going to beat the defending NBA champions who are fully healthy and a team that's won four of the last eight NBA finals. Not to mention a team that, while Golden State doesn't have home court advantage, they have a streak going right now where it's either 32 or 33 consecutive playoff series during this run where they've won at least one road game. I think they can win one road game in Sacramento, and they also have the best record at home in the pl- in, in of most playoff teams. I think they were 34-7 and seven at home this year. Something ridiculous. So... All they got to do is win one home game and not lo- win one road game and not lose a home game and they win the series. So um, it's possible Sacramento can take them to seven, but it, the experience obviously matters come playoff time. And who's more experienced in the playoffs than this core Golden State team playing against a bunch of guys that yeah put up a lot of points in the regular season, fun team to watch, best offensive team scoring wise in the regular season, but. We all know that NBA playoff basketball is a completely different animal. And Golden State is tested, and Sacramento hasn't been in the playoffs since 2005. So that's why the Warriors are such a big favorite. And you can't argue with it. You really can't. I talked about Minnesota. They're playing the Lakers tonight in the 7-8 game. Winner gets the Memphis Grizzlies and locked in as the 7 seed. But... Man, Rudy Gobert punching a teammate during a timeout, swinging at him because the teammate called him a bitch. (laughs) It's just, what dysfunction. The Lakers are seven and a half points favorites tonight. They're healthy. They played about as good as anybody down the stretch in the NBA. And like I said yesterday, they have as good a shot to beat the Memphis Grizzlies in a 2-7 series as any 7 seed has ever had versus a 2 seed. The Lakers are only a seven seed because until they, the trading deadline, their roster was horseshit. I said it back in January when I started this podcast. I said, they're terrible. Russell Westbrook is an albatross on this team. They don't have anybody outside of LeBron and KD, and that was when LeBron was hurt. And, and, and KD, AD. And AD couldn't stay on the court. Anthony Davis played 31 of the last 34 Laker games and put up ridiculous numbers. If the Lakers can get, like I said, this is all based on health. If AD and LeBron play every game in the Memphis series, I think they beat the Grizzlies. I really do. And trust me, the Grizzlies are more athletic. They're younger. They're faster. But they don't have LeBron and AD. So... I think the Lakers can definitely win that series, and I think they will. 
Memphis will be favored for sure. I just don't think it'll be a lot. For a 2-7 series, maybe the Memphis Grizzlies are minus 150, minus 160. I don't know. We'll know after tonight's game because that series will be established, assuming it's the Lakers. If the Lakers win tonight, we'll have the series priced by tomorrow and we can talk about it. But right now, um, I really like the Lakers in that series if they beat Minnesota tonight. Going on, uh, moving on to the Masters for a little bit, there's other one other thing that I wanted to talk about, and that's that John Rahm over Brooks Kepka. As we know, yesterday I was talking about Kepka just did not play well. From the eighth hole of round three to the 13th hole of round four, he never had a birdie. And you can't win the Masters with no birdies over a span of 23 holes. It's just not going to happen. And that's where he lost it. A lot of people are now saying, well, look at the live golfers. They finished three of the top five people in the tournament were live golfers versus PGA Tour players. You had Brooks, you had Phil Mickelson, and you had Patrick Reed. I don't think there's anything to it just because it's not live versus PGA. It's just you against the golf course. There are some live golfers that didn't even make the freaking cut. So if you're going to sit there and jump up and down and talk about live golfers being three of the top five, I don't think that says anything about the live tour because the live tour is less tournaments and less holes. So technically, shouldn't you be saying these guys are well rested? So when they do come and play over in the majors, which is the only tournaments they're allowed to play in that are technically part of the PGA tour, even though they're all their the majors are all their own entities. Wouldn't they be rested and ready and all do well? has nothing to do with that it has everything to do with do you play well in those four days but the one thing that I did find interesting was Phil Mickelson because I don't know if you know this but ever since the live tour started Phil Mickelson has been horseshit and him finishing second and shooting a 65 on Sunday and finishing second in the Masters kind of proves the whole point about live nobody gives a shit over there even the players Phil Mickelson has had zero motivation to play well on a live tour event. Nobody watches. Nobody cares. And he's already been paid. No matter how poorly he plays, he could shoot 80 every day and he's still taking home a paycheck, which is not the way it works on the PGA Tour. You have to make the cut. Yes, we now know that there are some tournaments now on the PGA Tour where they're going to go cutless and everybody's going to get paid. But... Up until this year, that was never the case. So Phil has had zero motivation to play well on the Live Tour. And then he comes over and plays in a meaningful tournament that he's won before multiple times. And he shoots a, an 8-under and he shoots a 65 on Sunday. It kind of proves my point about Live. You know, don't you see that? These guys aren't motivated to play over there. There's nothing to play for. When nobody cares, it's not even being covered by the major media outlets. Can you tell me anybody? The average fan couldn't tell you anybody who's won one live tour event. Nobody knows. So just find it funny that Phil Mickelson 
literally has done nothing over there. I don't even think he's had a top 10 finish. I think he has one in all the events last year and the events they've had this year. I think he's had one top 10 finish. And yet he plays in the Masters and he finishes second. <laughs> yeah, because the Masters actually means something. There's no, what are you chasing at the Live Tour? There's no chase. The chase is at the PGA Tour where you can be a Masters champion, which is a big deal. It's not a big deal to win a Live Tour event because nobody's watching. Remember when Jason Stewart was on the podcast two weeks ago on last, uh, two Fridays ago and talked about one of his beefs right now is the Odell Beckham watch and everybody's talking about Odell and this guy literally hasn't played football for a year? Well, over the weekend, he signed finally with the Baltimore Ravens, a team we don't even know who their quarterback is. Or do we now? Because that seems a little suspicious for a guy who's literally been shopping his services around to all these NFL teams and then finally says, I'm going to the Ravens. And the Ravens don't even know if Lamar Jackson's going to be their quarterback yet. Or maybe they do. Something tells me now Lamar is coming back to the Ravens because why would Odell Beckham choose to sign with a Ravens team when he doesn't even know who the quarterback is? That doesn't make any sense at all. So I think you can expect the Ravens and Lamar Jackson to finally work something out. I just don't know what that contract will be. And finally, baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays have finally blown it. Man, they suck. They only won one nothing yesterday. They're 10 and 0 to start the season, but that was their first win by less than 4 runs. Man, they are off their game. And yes, when I told you all the stats yesterday, 9 and 0, won every game by at least 4 runs. First team with a run differential of more than 50 in the first 9 games of the season since 1884. Their nine wins did come against three of the dregs of baseball, Detroit, Washington, and Oakland. So I understand that, but most runs in baseball through the first nine games, 75, allowed the fewest, 21 home runs, led the big leagues, and they had the fewest strikeouts. So I don't care who you play over a nine-game series. To go three sweeps, and put up those numbers, that's just unheard of. That's why it hadn't been done in almost 150 years. <laughs> like, that, is, that, is, that is unbelievable. And then yesterday they won one nothing against the Red Sox. They are now 10-0 and on the season. Are they ever going to lose? Ever. We shall see. Keep it tuned in. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review at Apple Podcasts. Pass this podcast around to all your friends. I hope you're enjoying it. I certainly am. We will be back yet again with another one tomorrow. So, appreciate you all listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.